This is the Education Exchange with Paul Peterson. I am the senior editor at Education Next. Thank you for joining us. In politics, circumstances can change quickly. But in early February 2024, nine months before Election Day, it looks like we're going to have a repeat of the 2020 election. Biden might withdraw his name from contention. Nikki Haley might suddenly mushroom. And the Grim Reaper could change things with his sigh. But none of these possibilities seem very likely. So what difference to education will it make if Trump defeats Biden or if Biden gets a second term? That's the question Michael Hartney has generously agreed to discuss with me today. Michael is the author of a recent book published by the University of Chicago entitled How Policies Make Interest Groups, Governments, Unions, and American Education. Michael is a professor at Boston College, currently a Hoover Fellow at the Hoover Institution at Stanford University. Thank you, Michael, for joining me on the Education Exchange. Thank you, Paul. It's great to be here, as always. Well, Michael, first question is, how big of an issue is education policy going to be? Is this one that people care about, or is this pretty much a side issue for the cognoscenti only? I think it's going to be pretty far down the list. Um, let me give some context here. So, uh, Gallup has been asking a question going back decades, uh, what's the most important problem facing the nation? And K-12 education reached uh, its height in 1999 and the 2000 election between Bush and Al Gore, and it was about just one in 10 Americans. Uh, again, that's a historic high. Uh, historically, it's been about 2%. And um, it did go up to 5% during the year of, of the pandemic um, for obvious reasons, but we're back down now in 2022, 2023 to 2% again. So if that's a bellwether, I wouldn't expect education to be at the top of the list. I would also say, interestingly enough, um, uh, I came across a CNN poll recently. This is from October. Um, and the question was asked, uh, what would you say are the issues where Democrats and Republicans running for office at the federal level disagree the most? And surprising to me, um, voters listed spending, immigration, abortion as the issues that divided the parties the most. Education didn't even register. It didn't even make 1%. So I'm sure we'll talk a little bit about partisan differences and, and whether Biden or Trump would make a difference. But the voters a, seem to be saying education is not the most important issue to them, and B, they don't really see much of a difference between the donkey and the elephant here on that issue. Well, is there anything where one party or another might try to make it an issue? You know the public tends to respond to what people talk about, so maybe it's just that it isn't being talked about enough. Could Trump, could could he, is there something out there he could exploit? Uh, I don't know what it would be. Maybe it would be sexual harassment regulations, maybe it could be history being taught in schools, uh, 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 transgender policy. I don't know what it would be, but what, what, wh is there anything out there that he might make an issue that could possibly mobilize his base or wing, win over some swing voters? Absolutely. I mean, I think that's what we've been seeing uh, in the sense that, uh, and I, I don't think it's just Trump, I think it's also Biden that uh, you know, if we go back to that old adage from the progressive era where the idea was we're going to take education out of politics, I think now we've been going through an era where uh, you've got a lot of elites who are trying to uh, basically um, push uh, 
other cultural issues into education uh, and sort of gin people up over those issues. So it's really interesting. I, I completely agree with you, this idea of, um, uh, of a follow the leader model that, uh, you know, the average member of the public isn't necessarily connecting um, uh, deep policy areas of education with particular candidates. Um, but the candidates themselves can help move the public on those sorts of things. And so what's interesting now is that, you know, if we go back to that time when one in 10 Americans said education was the most important problem, uh, you had George W. Bush uh, trying to spearhead issue of accountability uh, and the school quality. And now really what we see is kind of a return to the partisan warfare of, of previous eras where culture war issues, uh, you go back to the 90s, and the 80s, and you know, there was a lot of fodder on the left that the that the Christian right was trying to take over school boards and abstinence education and cultural issues back then. And I think that's what we see now. That to the extent that uh, elected officials at the federal level are trying to use education as an issue to rile voters up, they're focusing not so much on the stuff that happens in the classroom, not literacy or not accountability issues. They're focusing more, as you say, on issues uh, around uh, uh, gender, sports. Uh, teaching about race and racism and the, and the um, issues there. So, yeah, we're, we've really come a long way since just 20 years ago. Well, you know, Bernie Sanders pushed uh, free, tu free tuition and Biden uh, pushed uh, forgiving student debt. Uh, now, you know, the Supreme Court sort of uh, cut the ground under some of the debt forgiveness, but not altogether. So is that an issue the Democrats are going to use to try to mobilize the campuses again? I mean, I do think to the extent that, that we may see substantive differences that could, depending on which of these uh, two men get elected, uh, would matter. It's gonna, we're going to see it more at the higher ed level. And I do think that uh, that's an area. I mean, this is very real for many young Americans right now. Um, the Obama, I mean, not the Obama administration, the Biden administration is now um, taking executive action uh, on the loan issue. The Supreme Court's ruled. They seem to be defying the Supreme Court, but that's an issue I think they want to go into the election uh, with. They're not doing well with younger voters on the Israeli issue. So this is an issue where if they continue to focus on you know, Trump and well, all the Republican candidates were saying, we're not going to go for this student loan cancellation thing. I do think that's a very logical bread and butter issue that Obama, uh, <laughs> I keep saying Obama, uh, that uh, President Biden can reach out uh, to younger voters and bring them back into the fold. Well, yeah, yeah Trump is doing the same thing. He keeps uh, bringing up Obama when he's talking about Biden. Of course, he was the vice president in the in the Obama administration, so it's not altogether completely uh, off the table. But uh, so, but is, has Trump really taken a position on uh, forgiving student debt, as, or is this has he dodged that issue? I mean, I think he's dodging it in the same way he sort of did with health care, you know, when he just talked in sort of broad strokes that we're going to cancel Obamacare, it's the worst thing in the world, and then I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to come up with uh, something big and beautiful, but I'm not really going to tell you what the details are. I mean, you know, this is a candidate who uh, is very clear that he doesn't want to touch entitlements, he doesn't want to touch Social Security, Medicare. So I think he'd like to rhetorically at least say, you know, I'm going to come up with something that helps our young people on the student loan front. But, you know, he's been clear that the approach of the Biden administration uh, is, is a no-fly zone, and, and they're not just going to wipe out debt uh, the same way that the Biden administration is promising to. Well, how about uh, federal aid to education? Uh, this exploded during COVID. I mean, this 
school districts are getting more money than they've ever had before. I, some school districts are finding it hard to spend it all uh, before the deadlines that are out there. But then things are changing. COVID is receding, and a lot of the budget increments that were made available by the feds are now being pulled back. The House of Representatives under Republican control is not going to keep on handing out the money the way it has been in the past, although they are compromising on something, and it's a little bit unclear exactly what, how things are going to emerge. How do you see school finance developing in the next few years, depending on which party is in power? Well, I mean, I think it, what's so interesting on the Democratic side is that, you know, the compromise that was brokered um, between George W. Bush and Ted Kennedy was, you know, one in which Republicans were going to get some accountability uh, for how money was spent and the Democrats were going to get what they always wanted, which is more education spending. We're really out of that world now. And the Biden administration's approach, um, you know, obviously during COVID for COVID reasons, but the approach from the administration is just spend more money and we're not in an era of accountability anymore. And I do think we'll see more of that. Um, I think the Republicans are in a really difficult spot here for a couple of reasons politically. One is that um, I did some, I, did, I conducted a survey uh, during the 2022 midterms and I asked uh, a representative sample of the public uh, to characterize the effort that the federal government has made on spending uh, since the pandemic. And only about one in three Americans even recognize that the federal government has given in unprecedented sums of money here. And so I think that's politically advantageous for the Democrats because once that COVID relief money runs out, the teachers unions and uh, the Democrats are going to be telling a narrative around the country that uh, uh, you know school boards and states are cutting education spending when in reality, it's just that a lot of that money has run out. And I think we're gonna, we're gonna see at the local level a wave of teacher strikes. I think we're gonna see a huge debate about this. And I think the Republicans are on some tough political footing because if most voters don't recognize that there already were significant investments made, then it's going to be pretty easy to convince most people that when they hear that they're going to have to let some teachers go in a given school, that that's a cut rather than a return to the status quo ex ante. Well, for a very long period of time, education has been a state and local finance issue. Ninety percent of all the money that has been spent on schools has come from the state and local governments, about half and half, and about 10% from the federal government, you know, up until 2018, 2019, before COVID uh, came along. Now, the federal role must have, I, I don't really know if it's 15% or 20%, but it's, it's really substantially higher. Do you think this is going to be a permanent situation, that in Congress, it's going to be possible for the Democrats to force the Republicans to agree to a higher level of federal aid to states and localities, partly for the reasons you've just given. Yeah, I think uh, it's sort of the camel's nose under the tent. I mean, it was a big fight to get any federal education spending 50, 60 years ago to begin with. Uh, but yeah, now I think it's, a, it's an easy political case to make uh, if uh, parents and community members are hearing story, stories about layoffs or given, I mean, the other irony here is the way inflation has taken such a bite out of teachers' paychecks. So, you know, um, uh, in Newton, Massachusetts, we're on day eight today of a teacher strike there. This is a very wealthy suburban district. 
And, you know, one of the arguments that the union's making is that the school district isn't uh, raising salaries. By the way, this is a district where the average teacher's salary is $93,000. But the argument that the union's making is that our wages haven't kept pace with inflation. And so I think we're going to be hearing that argument around the country at a time when budgets are, are shrinking. And, and I do think you uh, have a situation where maybe the new normal will be a fight at the federal level over just more general spending. Well, in uh, Education Next survey, we found that the public sort of, number one, thought that one-third of the money came from the federal, one-third from the state, one-third from the local. That sort of makes sense, you know, divided up evenly. And then and then they thought that's the way it should be, you know. So so the, what the reality is, is it's 45, 45, 10, but, or that's what it was until now. So do you think we might move to that one-third, one-third kind of thing? Probably not. I mean, I think there are too many structural things that are going to keep the incentives uh, in such a way uh, that localities are going to still play the biggest role. I mean, I do think one of the interesting things to watch, and Washington State is a good example of this. I mean, this has been going on for some time, but I, it wouldn't surprise me if we continue to see more of it, is that, you know, you get these lawsuits around the country in state courts, and the argument is, well, you know, there are huge disparities between school districts with low property values and those with higher. So we need the state government to play a bigger role in funding. Um, but what you saw in Washington State was it went all the way to the state Supreme Court and the court ruled, yes, the state needs to take on a bigger share of the spending. Well, as soon as the state did that, then the teachers unions went back to all of the local districts and, and, uh, and in many cases went on strike and basically got the localities to up their levy spending. And then you had all these inequities again. And so then they went right back to the state house. So I think that's kind of a never ending structural political thing going on. Um, I, I, I don't think we're necessarily going to get to one third level uh, at the federal level. So uh, school choice. Uh, last time uh, when uh, Trump was in power, he appointed Betsy DeVos as secretary of education. She was the head of the American Federation for Children, which is a school choice advocacy group. Everybody expected school choice to be the Trump administration policy in education, and she did. I mean, she went around the country making uh, this uh, the, the topic in nearly every speech she gave. But the Trump administration, when it came down to the money and to the programs at the federal level, it did almost nothing. And what it did try to do, it never got through Congress. So. Are we going to see, if, if let's assume Trump wins, uh, what do we get in school choice? Is it going to be the same old? I mean, yeah, I think this is one of those things. Uh, again, go back to the, to the George W. Bush administration. You know, Republicans wanted, as part of No Child Left Behind, to have full-on vouchers. Uh, and they got sort of this weak, uh, watered-down version of that in supplemental educational services, which is just a fancy word for tutoring. I think just politically it's very hard for the federal government, uh, especially with all the vested interests that exist in terms of, you know, what are you going to do, go repurpose Title I dollars? Uh, and a lot of programs there, categorical programs where they have constituencies, I don't think politically it's very feasible. I mean, you might see some things on the choice front around, you know, the Biden administration has been a lot tougher on charter schools applying for federal grants and that sort of thing. But this is going to be at the margins. I think the choice stuff is going to continue to play out uh, at the state level. But I do want to just make one point here about the, the partisan politics of it. I've been following real closely uh, your Education Next poll over the years. And it struck me as quite interesting that you've seen partisan gaps uh, more on charter schools 
than on universal vouchers, which is surprising because I think most people historically in the choice movement considered charter schools a compromise, something that center-left Democrats uh, oftentimes supported and that it was private school vouchers that really would polarize the public. But um, even though we've seen a, a lot of partisan divide on education issues uh, in the most recent Ednext poll, uh, on choice, it seems to be that both Republicans and Democrats are very supportive of it. And I think that has something to do with the fact that we're, we've, we're really at a historic low right now um, in terms of Americans' confidence in their public schools. The Gallup just released this data for 2023, um, and, uh, and, and this came as a shock to me. Just one in 10 Republicans have a great deal or quite a lot of confidence in the nation's public schools. Um, we have a big gap between Democrats and Republicans on that, but a lot of folks are out there saying this is just, uh, these aren't even parents, right? Uh, this is just partisans uh, who are, if you're a Republican, you're dinging schools since the pandemic. If you're a Democrat, you're rallying to them. But actually those differences are the same among parents. So overall we're at a low on confidence and we have a big partisan gap there. So I do think that uh, the choice issue is gonna be attractive uh, to a lot of candidates at the state level, certainly for Republicans. I mean, I don't know if you saw this. Um, I think uh, the, um, the group you just referenced uh, that uh, the former secretary was involved in, I, I believe I saw last week that they're sort of uh, doing the Grover Norquist thing now that used to be done on taxes where you would go and get candidates to sign a pledge uh, not to raise taxes. And I've seen that circulating that this is going to become a litmus test issue, the choice issue for Republicans, and they're very much going to make candidates pledge the same sort of fealty on that issue. Well, I do think that uh, Secretary DeVos did change the conversation on choice, and especially for the Republican Party. And so it's becoming more of a litmus test, especially with these new uh, education savings accounts that are uh, universal and uh, seem to be pretty popular out there. But will the Democrats sign on to it, or are they going to be even more vigorously opposed to it? Is, is this going to be – we? somebody once said we're going to have two educational systems, one in red states and another in blue states. Is that where we're going? Is that the uh, potential development? I don't think so. I mean, you do see some uh, some moderation on the Democratic side. Granted, they don't always follow through, but you have the example of Josh Shapiro in Pennsylvania – um, even uh, J.B. Pritzker, I mean, he didn't lift much of a finger, but he sort of said, look, I'm in favor of the Illinois uh, tax credit program. Yeah, but now and, he withdrew that. Right, you know, it that, went down, yeah. Yeah, yeah. yeah but uh, Democrats are feeling, I mean, Democrats are reading these numbers of high levels of support for choice, and I just, I think that issue has the biggest potential to transcend partisanship. It's not going to transcend the union, the pro-union, anti-union divide, because that will always be the case. But I do think it's just like much in, the, in other areas of American life, people are getting used to customization. They're not, you know, in other walks of life, whether it's their television subscription services, how they order things to their house, they're, they're not really uh, living a life of one size fits all anymore. So I think that issue of choice has the opportunity here to become not necessarily a red or blue issue. And that's what you're seeing in your Ednex polls. Well, the one issue which I thought was uh, thinking about this issue where I thought the biggest change is most likely to happen right away has to do with uh, government regulation because that's something the administration can do itself without getting cooperation on Capitol Hill. So is, is it, if, if Trump comes in, do you just assume that the sexual harassment re regulations will go under a review again and we'll go back to the Trump version? 
I mean, I think that's right. Um, you know, I'm not a lawyer, but I've been paying enough attention to the news um, pertaining to, you know, the major changes that we may be seeing coming down the pike in terms of administrative law, right? So the Supreme Court uh, just heard a pretty big case uh, where some of the, the, the um, tea leave readers there are saying we may uh, get rid of the Chevron doctrine, which for listeners uh, is basically a fancy uh, legal term or precedent that um, harkens back to um, a, a decision uh, related to the EPA where uh, the court said that it is appropriate to defer to admit, uh, agencies on uh, on lots of large questions. And if that gets revisited, then you have to think that what, we see, what we've seen presidential administration one after another will abate somewhat, which is basically making policy via rulemaking. And we saw that in the Obama administration uh, as No Child Left Behind was phased out. We've obviously seen it on Title IX. We've seen it in the Civil Rights Division, uh, where they really get into the nitty gritty of, you know, uh, disparities in who's taking AP uh, classes, all the way to the sexual harassment um, guidance. And I do think that's sort of a big thing to watch because that might constrain uh, what uh, presidential administrations can do if they narrow that. Somehow. Yeah, but the courts are very slow to act. It takes them a long time to decide things. And even if the uh, Supreme Court decides in this uh, fish case or whatever it is that they're now considering, it, I think it's going to take years and years, maybe decades, before that starts to, starts to influence things uh, across the board. That's right. Yeah, I agree. Uh, so how about affirmative action? I mean, this is an issue where uh, I don't think it's a very popular thing to have quotas. It's never been. And I think basically the Supreme Court decision on affirmative action has the support of the American people. Uh, what, what are the Democrats going to do? What is Biden going to do about that? Is he just going to not talk about it? It is a tough issue for them. Um, this is another area where I've been doing um, a fair bit of polling recently. And, you know, the popular narrative out there on this issue is that uh, um, uh, the, the prior precedents, uh, the Bakke case, uh, uh, all the way up through Grutter in Michigan, um, that said that, you know, colleges and universities could consider race as a factor um, to try and create diverse campuses. A lot of folks just make the argument that, um, that the court did away with that because the court got more conservative. But what I see in the data is that it was actually the fact that Asian Americans uh, became the poster child here as the aggrieved party in a lot of these cases. Um, and it was Democrats that I've seen in surveys who became uncomfortable uh, with considering race, whether it's in medical school admission or, or college admissions. And so I think that is politically tricky then for the Obama administration or uh, <laughs> for the Biden administration, uh, because obviously they want to continue to have that Obama coalition uh, of voters. And so I do think it's not going to be a popular issue for them. They they probably um, will stay away, for example, and saying too much on the issue of selective exam high schools because it looks like the court's going to be taking up the case uh, of Thomas Jefferson High School, one of these selective exam schools where they've rejiggered their admissions uh, policies uh, um, and they still are considering race. And the question is, is that are they going to be able to do that based on the pres precedent that came out of students for fair admissions? And I think on the Republican side and the Trump side, they're definitely going to be trying to put that issue front and center. So, you know, uh, politics can take strange terms, uh, turns uh, in education, especially, I think. Uh, it's almost better to lose a presidential election than to win one, maybe. So, uh, 
whoever wins the 2024 election in 2026, Congress is going to go the other way. The states are going to go the other way. So, and since we know so much of education is at the state and local level, maybe maybe the the groups would just as soon lose this election as to win it. Yeah, well, I think if you are um, if you're Ron DeSantis and you're now out of the presidential race. I think 2028 looks a lot better to you if Donald Trump were to lose in 2024. And I think there are probably a lot of Republicans who feel that way. For one thing, setting aside the personalities and then the primary politics, um, you know, folks are saying, look, inflation has slowed down. Maybe some of the fundamentals of the economy are going to get better. But the reality is we have massive long-term debt obligations. And with the interest rates that we're paying on that uh, on the interest of that debt, this is not going to be a pretty position for elected officials in the years ahead. And so um, I'm not necessarily convinced that whoever wins the presidency is going to be handing things off to a successor uh, the way that, say, Reagan was able to do for, uh, for our first uh, president, George Bush. Yeah. Now, how about Congress? Uh, do you see uh, whoever wins the presidency, will they carry Congress with them? Are the coattails of the president going to carry? Because uh, they're, they're very close. On both, on both the House and the Senate are within, you know, one to five votes or whatever it is. It's very, very tight. And so it doesn't seem to me to be um, too much to expect that whoever wins the presidency will have control of the government and will be able to act rather decisively in 2025. Now, is that likely or do you see divided government as the most likely outcome i think if the if the republicans win and let's assume it's trump i do think that you're then looking at a republican uh majority a trifecta mainly because you know historically uh the congressional candidates have run ahead of trump he's tended to trail them so if he if he is to win i would assume that then they're going to win the um win the senate back uh, on the Democratic side, though, I'm not so sure because I think, uh, you know, part of Biden's case is there are people out there that would vote for him and just not vote for Trump. And I think some of those people would vote for a Republican, depending on who the candidate is, of course, simply to act as somewhat of a check on on some of Biden's more uh, uh, liberal agenda that perhaps they're not comfortable with, but they're voting for him because they just are uncomfortable with Donald Trump's temperament uh, and, and other factors. Well, you're underestimating the power of Donald Trump to uh, screw up the primary races on the Republican side, the Republicans might run some bad candidates again in 2024 and lose those Senate seats that they need. That's possible. Although I think the map's a little more favorable for them this go around. So you're optimistic about the future. I hear you saying basically, you know, it's not going to change too much no matter which party's in power. Education is not such a big issue. We're going to be creeping along, not moving decisively in any particular direction. Is that what I'm hearing? Oh, well, Paul, I think you're just uh, uh, getting my optimism mixed up for the fact that I'm so happy to be here with you today. But no, I'm not, I'm not optimistic um, uh, in, in the following sense. You know, I think one of the big concerns is none of the candidates, save Nikki Haley, um, I think it's fair to say, uh, are talking about, you know, the action. And for me, the action is student achievement. And student learning. I mean, on the stump, uh, you know, N Nikki Haley will talk about the decline in student performance predated COVID, and then it just got worse because of COVID. 
Uh, and I just don't hear, you know, the Biden, let me sort of go to the other side here, the Biden administration, uh, they finally have a plan now about doing something about learning loss. It's just come three years too late. And there's been people on their side of the aisle saying very much the same thing, that the secretary has been asleep at the wheel. And I think that's the real problem that we have right now. We're going through this moment, and I don't think it's new. I think it's a return to something we've seen before, where the culture war issues are taking up a lot of oxygen in the room, and the real losers are the kids uh, who, you know, their learning went down, and they need adults focused on stuff like, you know, literacy. How do we teach reading? Uh, how do we um, find some uh, return to accountability, which we really went away from uh, after, you know, NCLB gave way to ESSA? Um, you know, the whole teacher quality issue really isn't even on the front page anymore. And I think that's a real problem. Um, I do hold out hope that at the local level, uh, maybe some places are still going to make progress. I think, um, you know, but then I'm concerned when I see a place like Denver, for instance, uh, which really went all in on the portfolio model, charter schooling, and then that school board flipped to a pro-union school board, and they're sort of walking away from it. Um, and, and let me mention one other thing that gives me pause. I'm concerned, as much as I, I am an advocate for choice, I am concerned um, that, you know, um, some of the legislation that comes out, if it doesn't have guardrails, the, the, you know, we don't want to be waking up to stories in newspapers of, you know, a family spent ESA money on something that we all agree really isn't what ESA money should be spent on, because that will hurt the movement, I think, in the long run. And so I think Republicans really, they should keep pushing for choice. It's politically popular. Um, it's good policy to provide more choices for kids. But I think at the same time, you need to make sure there are some guardrails in place. And that's why I'm a big fan of those portfolio uh, management districts that, you know, they have a unified system. They provide transparency to students about, you know, how schools are performing. And it, it's a little more, uh, there's a little more structure there than kind of the wild, wild west, if you will. Well, thank you very much, Michael, for joining me on the Education Exchange. It's great to be with you, Paul. Thanks. I've been speaking with Michael Hartney, a professor at Boston College and a Hoover Fellow at Stanford's Hoover Institution. He's the author of a recently released book entitled How Policies Make Interest Groups, Governments, Unions, and American Education. I am Paul Peterson. This is the Education Exchange. Please join me for a new podcast released on the Education X website every Monday at noon Eastern time.